Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us that the first result of man turning away from God is idolatry. Today we'll see that gross immorality is a second consequence. All right, I'd like you taking your Bibles, please, and turn to the Book of Romans. Book of Romans, chapter one. All right, Romans chapter one. I would like to read from verse number twenty-six, and we'll come to verse number twenty-six uh, and twenty-seven, which we will be dealing with this morning. But just so that you will get the whole drift of the entire passage we're dealing with, uh, I'd like us to start reading from verse number eighteen. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, Paul writes and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I want to emphasize that. You can put that in your Bible. The word there is not to hold the truth. It's to hold down the truth. The idea is suppressing the truth. Those of you who think that that's a wrong interpretation, you get your lexicon, you check it up, you discover that that's what it means, to hold down the truth uh, in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and the birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Notice verse 24. Wherefore or therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that just recompense of the error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that has preceded the preaching of your word. No, Lord, we come to your word this morning and we ask for your help. We pray for your assistance. With the Apostle Paul, we confess who is sufficient for these things. 
who can really handle your word in the way that it should be handled when we stand before your people knowing that the destinies of men are weighed in the balances every time the word is preached. And the fact that the instrument of change, your word, is entrusted to us. And what an awesome task uh, is given to us who preach and enter the pulpit. We must look to you, Lord. There's no one else to look to. And we request your power, request your spirit working in our midst. We pray that we will give the correct interpretation of your word. And we ask, Lord, for the impact that it would have, that it would be one that is lasting and transforming. May none of us who have entered this building this morning to sit around your word to hear what the Lord has to say. May none of us leave this place as we came in. May there be some measure of change in our lives as we grasp your truth. And may we, as your people, go out into the marketplace and the locations where we work and where we interface with people. And may we stand for your truth in an age where truth is no longer favored. Uh, may we be those that uh, stand for the word and be prepared to take the consequences, uh, whether they be positive or negative. Uh, help us to honor you and remind us that you have honored your word above your name and that it is reserved in heaven and perfect. We thank you now for this time and we ask for your guidance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now I know this morning... Uh, we have several people that are visiting, and I sometimes find it difficult to know where to start when you're doing a series, especially when you have visitors. We have been expounding the book of Romans, especially uh, into Romans chapter number one. But I think it is so important for us when we begin to deal with the book of Romans, that it's important for us to follow the logical thinking of the Apostle Paul as you expound this book of Romans. Uh, if you're going to pre appreciate the full weight of what Paul is saying in this book, it is only fitting that we periodically review what Paul is leading up to uh, in this first chapter. Now, uh, we've pointed out to you that the first thing that Paul does is that he is prosecuting a case against humanity. And what Paul is doing is that Paul is trying to show humanity that they stand guilty before God. And Paul charges humanity with two general sins. Two gen Paul says that we are guilty of two things. We are guilty of ungodliness. And ungodliness has to do, godliness has to do with our relationship with God. And then Paul says we are guilty of unrighteousness. Righteousness has to do with our relationship with man. So both in our relationship with God and our relationship with man, Paul says we stand guilty before him because we have messed up. Both of those relationships. Having given those two general charges, the Apostle Paul goes down in further part of the epistle. And then Paul begins to specify how those charges uh, work out in everyday life. And so Paul brings four different uh, specific charges against man. Number one, he said man is guilty of ingratitude. He did not, was not thankful to God. Secondly, he said that man is guilty of impiety. 
that rather than worship God, man turned to idols and turned away from the true God. And then fourthly, he said that man is guilty of idolatry. And finally, he said that man is guilty of immorality. So he's taken the ungodliness and the unrighteousness and he specifies in what way this ungodliness and unrighteousness was, was, was uh, demonstrated in man's life. Now the question of course is, where is the evidence that man is so guilty? And that is where Paul comes to his second point. Paul calls the witnesses to the witness stand and Paul calls three witnesses. First of all, Paul calls creation. And he says that there are certain things that man may know from what God has created. So when man turns his back on the true God and goes after idolatry, Paul says, you are guilty because creation witnesses to you that there are certain things that you know from creation about your God. His eternal power and Godhead, Paul says. The second witness that Paul calls is conscience. That God created man a moral being and man knows right from wrong. And then the third thing that Paul says in, in the passage is man's conduct. And you'll find that later on in this chapter he mentions 19 different specific sins that man is guilty of. See? Those are the witnesses. Creation, the conscience and the conduct of man uh, shows that the charges that Paul lays at the feet of man, that man must say before God, guilty as charged. But then what Paul does, the third thing, is to trace, how did this happen? How did man turn away from the true God and end up worshipping lizards and snakes? Because he goes on to mention that and birds and idols. Uh, we don't have time to do this, but we've already shown you from the book of Isaiah that Paul, I mean that Isaiah mocks the idolaters of his day. They cut down a tree, they make a soup pan when it, then they turn around and put it in God and then worship the same tree. He, 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 he laughs at that. But how did man get there? This is what Paul does. And Paul begins to trace the steps of man's apostasy from God. And let me tell you what he said. He said, number one, the first thing is that man suppressed the truth. He had truth. But he held down the truth. Suppress, deliberately suppressed the knowledge that God had given to him. Number two, he said, when man suppressed truth, it led to what Paul says, vain imagination, speculative thinking. When you reject truth, you, all you're left with is a depraved, fallen mind. And your mind and your false reasoning lead you into the realm of irrational philosophy. So when man starts philosophizing, turning away from truth, Paul says he suppressed the truth, then he, he, he turned to his mind to find answers. And then thirdly, Paul says that such speculative thinking resulted in man's heart becoming darkened. In other words, the light went down. See? Man turned his back on God, and God turned his back on man. See? Rather than embrace the light that God had given, man went away from the light, and when you go away from light, you can only embrace darkness. And so Paul said, the foolish heart was darkened. See? And then number four, uh, Paul says that after becoming spiritually darkened, Paul said they became senseless morons. He says they became fools. See? Now here is the problem with man. He thinks he is so brilliant, he is so intellectual, he knows so much. Uh, God becomes superfluous to him and he believes that what he creates with his mind is far superior to God. And God said, you just become moronic. See? You become irrational. 
And by the way, uh, that is always true. When men turn away from God, they embrace speculative thinking that ends up in the realm of irrationality. And then uh, Paul answers the fourth question that we're dealing with is this. Okay, what are the consequences when man goes away from God? And I asked that question last question, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? And I ask you this, this morning, what difference does it make to the world? What difference does it make to society? What difference does it make to the individual when a man or woman abandons God, rejects God? Are there any results? Well, we are told today, and we're given the impression that God is on the fringe, and really, God is not a necessity, that God is a superfluous God, and that society and man can get along quite well without God. Now, is that true? Well, let's hear what the Apostle Paul says about that. Uh, Paul says that when a man or woman or society goes away from God, three things inevitably follows. The first thing that follows is this. When man moves away from God, man moves into the realm of false religion. Now that is the irony about it. You would think by rejecting the true God, there would be a decrease in religion. But the very opposite happens. You see, it's not that man doesn't want God. God, man doesn't want the true and the living God. Uh, man wants a God that panders to his needs. That submits to what he wants, his desires. So when he finds a God that restrains him and tells him you can't do this, you can't do that, they don't want that kind of a God. They want a God that falls in line with their desires. So Paul said the first thing that happens when you, and by the way, go to any part of the world where the true God is not worshipped and you will find a multiplicity of idols and gods. So there's not a decrease in God's when man rejects the true and the living God. There is a multiplication of gods. That's why we end up in what you call pantheism. That's why we end up in what we call polytheism. See? Many, many. And by the way, was that not true of Greece? How many gods you could mention the Greeks had? But remember that we pattern our culture after the Greeks. I don't know if you know that. If you go to university, the first thing you're taught in philosophy is Greek philosophy. Because they say that they are the cultural icons of the Western world. They lay the foundation for Western thinking. But if you check their society, as they went away uh, and they got into idolatry, you find that they had their own pantheon of gods. But their gods were like men. So the gods were having affairs and producing people coming to earth and they had all this kind of war. The Greek gods were too small to sustain society. And that's why the Greeks eventually went down into moral deprivation and they were conquered. And then turned to Rome. Rome conquered Greeks. But what, you remember the pantheon of gods? Mercury and Jupiter? Cupid? A multiplicity of gods. And today, if you go into Western societies, one of the surest signs that man has gone away from the true God in Western societies is look around you and see the mosques, see the Hindu temples, see the Sheik palaces, see the Buddhist objects. See? Now, to, to, to Westerners and to Western governments, this is a sign of tolerance. 
This is a sign that we practice religious freedom. But to God, this is a sign that we have gone away from the true and living God and idolatry has taken over. And that's where we are today. Any society that goes away from the true and living God, you will find a multiplicity of religions. And by the way, Antigon got plenty of religion. Plenty of religion. You keep adding and keep adding and keep adding. I'm told that eventually there's going to be a mosque built in this country. I don't know where it's going to be built. I know the Baha'i faith are here. I know the Mormons are here. I know the Rastakushans are here. Uh, I know the, uh, what do you call it? the Docetists are here. The Arians are here. You'd be surprised. The, 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 the whole, we have the whole, the whole range and spectrum. So the government, that's an indication of religious freedom. That's an indication that we are tolerant. But you know, from the biblical perspective, that's an indication that Antigua, the Christian, has gone away from the true and living God. That's what it means. And wherever you go in Western civilization, and you find that man moves, go to England by the way, there are now almost as many mosques as they have churches. As a matter of fact, there are more people going to the mosque than the churches in England. 3% of England's population go to church. It's a pagan country. See? And they're taken over. So the first result of man going away from God is always false religion. Never forget that. God gave them up. And so they turned to false religion. But the second thing we started talking about is that when you have idolatry and false religion in a country, the next thing that always follows is gross immorality. And I, I want to point out this. Look, morality is rooted and grounded in the religion of a country. You cannot have morality without God. And you can always know the spiritual state of a country by the level of morality. It's the barometer of spirituality in a nation. So when you have a people who believe in the living God and serve the living God in sincerity, you will always have restraints. You will have decency. You will have a moral people and a strong family. But the moment you go away from God and you allow all these false religions, uh, the people's life begin to go down morally. And I can tell you this, you will always know where Antigua is in relation to true and living God by the morals of his people. I'm from Barbados. 70% of our people are born out of wedlock. Yet Barbados claims it's a Christian country. It's a nominal Christian country. Nominal. I don't know what the statistics are for Antigua. But I will tell you this. The moral life of the people, the lifestyle of the people, always tell you what the spiritual state of that nation is. By that standard, what do you think of your country? And so there is this whole matter of morality. And you will notice that in the passage I read to you that three different times... It is said that God gave them up. For example, in, in verses 24 to 25, we are told that God gave them up to defiling lusts. That they might do what? Dishonor the body. You know why, why God did this? The reason why man rejected God in the first case is this. 
It was man's sexual desires for sexual freedom. You see, God restrained that. Belief in God always restrains sexuality and confines it to the monogamous relationship of marriage. Wherever the true God is, you are constrained to live within the limits of morality. But you know, when that happens, God is an encumbrance to people. We don't want a God that tells us how far we can go in our sexual life. We want sexual freedom. Sexual liberty. And the reason why man went away from the true God, because that's exactly what they want. They wanted freedom to have sex with anybody. And that's why the Bible, God gave them over to defile, defiling lust to dishonor the body. Here is the reason behind atheism and the reason behind idolatry. And the reason why people do not want the God of the Bible is because they want to have sexual freedom. And so that's the problem today. We don't have the purity. We don't have modesty. And that's why we don't have strong families. And that's why we have so much sexual promiscuity. Uh, By the way, go to any country where the gospel has not been preached and the truth of Christ has not been declared. And I'll tell you what you'll find. You'll find nakedness. You'll find immorality. And you'll find idolatry. Because God withdraws himself and allow man's passion to rule. A man says to God, I don't want to serve you because you restrain me too much. What I want is freedom. And God said, you want freedom? Okay, I gave it. I give you over to what you want. And so there is what you call sexual. But notice in verse 26, what I want to deal with this morning, is that after man has been given his sexual freedom to do what he wants, It always ends up in perversion. It never stays within the limits of what is normal. It always goes from one extreme to the other. And notice that's what he said in verse number 26. Notice what he says. And for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Then verse 27. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one to another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of the error, which is me. Now notice in, in verse 24, it said that God allowed them to have free reign of their lust. You want sexual freedom? Okay, go ahead. But it never stays within the, the confines of that which is normal. And this is what the Apostle Paul is, is saying. That now, second thing that he's saying, that God gave them over to what he called degrading passions. Not just defiling lust now, but degrading passions. The word vile affection is expressed in that term. In other words, normal sex becomes boring by a promiscuous lifestyle. I want to repeat that. Normal sex becomes boring by a promiscuous lifestyle. So what happens as you experience more sexual freedom, you don't want normal sex anymore. You want kinky sex. You want perverted sex. You want extreme sex. You want hypersex. And that's what Paul is saying. They said, I don't want God because God is restraining me sexually. God said, okay, I give you up to your vile lust. But you don't see where that is going to lead you? It's going to lead you beyond that which is normal. Into that which is perverted. 
So it goes from normal sex to oral sex to anal sex. That's how it goes. And people are not satisfied to live within the confines. Because you've got to understand that God is the one that restrains us. And when God removes his hand off our passion, we become animalistic. And I can show you that to what Peter calls them. So when man goes away from God and God takes his hand off man's life, and man wants sexual freedom, God said, okay, that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. But remember something, it's going to lead you down a dark road to extremism, to perversion. Until today, what do we have? What do we have today? By the way, hats off to your attorney general. There's not a braver man in Antigua than he. I'm telling you. I know you don't like him. A lot of people don't like him. They call him Cutie Benjamin. But listen to me. Hats off to that man. There's not a braver man in Antigua than that man. To make a statement like what he made in the papers. I am not going to touch that. I'm not with the LBGT agenda. You know what that means? I don't know if you know how powerful these people are. Let me give you a story that happened recently. You know when the thing happened in, in Florida, when these homosexuals were shot? I know of a person, I'm not going to tell you who it is, I know of a person who made a comment about that and said how unfortunate it is that you can have a club where homosexuals could be living and going on and do all their nastiness. But then they also said, but the, the, the way to respond to that is not to kill them. But let me tell you what happened. One of the most powerful men in that organization got hold of that Facebook statement about it's unfortunate you have a place for homosexuals where they can go and do their nasty. And you know what? Call the manager direct and demanded the man be fired. Demanded the man be fired. You can't, you gotta fire a man like that. You thought power? That's what they did to the university professor in the UWI. When he stood up against the Belize government and told them that homosexuality is wrong, it's evil, it's wicked, it will create disease in the country, they fired him. So if you think that we're dealing with something that is small, there's a huge movement with people in very high positions in government, in music, in artistry, listen, technology, they're all over the place and they've got the agenda that you must normalize this. So when Cutie Benjamin and I see in the papers, uh, and I saw it in the papers, I, did, I came back the first time I got with that paper, I said, man alive, this is a man. There's not two attorney generals in the whole Caribbean that would make a statement like that. They're all fearful of the consequences. And that's how we got here. Now I am going to spend some time dealing with this subject. Today is just the introduction. But I'm telling you, we are going to dis- we're going to find out how we got here. What is the strategy that they've used to get us to the point where now people are saying, let's accept it. How did the church get there? And then we're going to show you the danger of it. And by the way, I want to make a statement here and I wish it could be in the papers. You know what the statement is? Our medical doctors are cowards. I repeat that, they're cowards. They know better than I do. I read the information. They know that these are walking museums of diseases. And I will mention the diseases that are part of their, their lifestyle. Can wipe out a whole nation. But the medical doctors are fearful of losing their jobs. That's why they're so silent. And it baffles me.
that a country endangered by this lifestyle, the medical profession is mute and silent. They are cowards. So when I heard and I saw in the paper that Benjamin has said he will not be part of this whole mess, I said to myself, there's not a more, there's not a, a, a there's not a, a more courageous man in all of Antigua than he. You may not like him, but for a man to make that statement publicly, if you know what that means, you'll then begin to understand what a, what a courageous person he must be to make a statement like that. Because you're going to see that there are consequences that will follow this. So what Paul is saying to you, man wants to get rid of God because God restrains the sexual impulses. God, we don't want you. We, you just annoy us. You just restrain us too much. We want sexual freedom. God said you want sexual freedom? All right, I remove my restraining hand on you. But you know what that means? Your old depraved nation can take you deeper and deeper and deeper. And so Paul says, the second thing that God did, not only to defiling lust, but Paul says in verse 26, to degrading passions. So what we have in verse 26 and verse 27 is teaching us that a promiscuous lifestyle ends up in boredom. See? In boredom. And by the way, let me say this. I may not get another chance to say this. That's why marriages are not working out very well today. I don't know if you know that. Let me tell you why. It's promiscuity. And let me tell you why it's promiscuity. I have done a lot of counseling. I told the church this already. By the time a woman comes to, generally speaking, okay, I'm not talking about people in our church, not people I counsel. Generally speaking, by the time a woman comes to me, says, Pastor, I want you to advise me on this, and I begin to do a profile of their lifestyle, the average woman has been two, three, and four men before they come to the altar. The average man is over five to six men by the time he comes to the altar. Huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> now, by the way, that's a serious problem, you know. You, 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 you know, that's like I like in chicken, but I now get beef and I get, uh, I get pork and I get mutton. So what happened is this, that my wife is only chicken. So what happened? My tastes have been aroused. And that's what destroying marriages. If you don't, they're not telling you that. That is too dangerous to tell people. But that's the problem. A person who has been promiscuous in their lifestyle is very seldom the marriage will ever work out. Because they have a taste for strange flesh. See? And by the way, we'll, we'll show you that that is what uh, Jude says about them. See? If you're promiscuous, let me tell you this, before your marriage started, it's over. I will, will be, before your marriage started, it's over. If you think that you have to know before you get married, your marriage is over before you even start. Remain pure and clean, come to the altar. Wear white because it is true, you're pure. Don't wear white to cover up the camouflage, say you're not. And what is destroying our Western societies now is that the Christian consensus is gone. Morality is gone. And all over the, the Western world where there was a Christian consensus to restrain people, we now have sexual freedom, sexual liberation, and we've got complete chaos. And they can't seem to solve the problem. Because they don't understand the genesis of the problem. And if they do understand the gentle problem, they don't want to deal with it because you offend people when you talk this way. 
Truth always hurts. But it must be spoken. I'm not here to blow a trumpet to please you. My job is to take the word of God and tell you what the word of God says. Whether you like it or not, it's immaterial. And so Paul begins now to talk about the matter of this degrading passion. And so you need the normal realm of human sexuality. And they enter the zone of perversion and animalistic freedom. They enter what you might call the forbidden territory. You see, what happened with people after they've been promiscuous, they become very jaded. You ever heard of a jaded horse yet? He's so tired and so overworked, he no longer wants what is the normal, it can't satisfy, so he needs, he needs something to boost him. And so what happens, becoming jaded of normal sex, they now want what you might call new thrills and fresh excitement. They want what is called kinky sex, perverted sex, hypersex, turbocharged sex. But the problem with that is the, the wife can't do that anymore. See, You're jaded before you got into marriage. You got strange taste. You now get married. Your wife's not meeting your, your needs that you want. So you want something more extreme. You want a sexual freedom. You got into the first gift. But look where it's headed. Head now this is the interesting word that Paul uses here. Vile affections. The word vile in the Greek language is the word atemia. It means disgraceful. It means ignominious. Uh, the, 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 the Greek word uh, for honor, which the word uh, vile affections come from, it means dishonorable affection, really. But the word for honor is the word timia, and it means to estimate. So what Paul is saying here is, when you honor someone... And you respect them sexually. Paul is saying that you have a proper estimate of that person's worth. By having a proper estimate of that person's worth, you, you contain yourself within normalcy. But when you have a false estimate, that's the word vile, of that person's worth, now you're driven to, to perversion. You don't stay within the normal realm that God has restrained you. You don't go because you don't value the person. You don't value their worth. That's the point that Paul is making. Your estimate of the person. And you know why does happen? Because God took off his restraining hands from you. You wanted sexual freedom. God said, okay, go ahead and have it. And because of that, now you're, even your judgment of your partner, you've lost the estimate of her value and her dignity. And now you want to go to extreme forms. And let me warn you about something else here. Ladies, you can't compete with pornography here. You cannot compete with pornography. If your husband is watching pornography secretly, you will find he'll some start asking you to do things. And you wonder where he got that from. Let me tell you where he got it from. Pornography. See? He sees things. He wants what he sees. But the problem with you, you're not a whore. So you can't do what he wants. So he gets angry. And he goes outside the relationship to find satisfaction. Paul points out here... That this is where going away from God ultimately leads. Ultimately. It ultimately leads to perversion. Sexual perversion. The word affection is the word passion. And I want to read a note that Vincent, who did word studies. I don't know if you read Vincent, word studies. He makes an interesting statement. And I want to quote what he said. He said, the difference between... 
epistomai lust in verse 24. And pathe here, vile affections. He said, apiphia means evil longings. Pathe here means ungovernable affections. It means uncontrollable desires. In other words, you move from normal desires to where you can't control your passion anymore. You lose control. You're like a madman now. That's what Paul is saying. So the first thing he did, he let them have the defiling loss. But that led to what is called vile affection. Uncontrollable desires. You know what we call that today? Addiction. That's what we call it today. When a person can't control their feelings and their emotions, we say that they become addicted. This is what Paul is talking about. The restraining hand of God has been removed. And now they've become slaves. They've become addicts. So does it make any difference if a nation, for a nation or to a people or to a church when people go away from God? Paul says, definitely, sir. It always leads down the road of immorality. But that immorality becomes boredom after a while and it leads to perversion. It's a warning about staying close to God. Staying close to God rather than go down that track that leads to perversion. You notice, look at Second Peter chapter 2 for just a moment. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 14. Look what Peter says in in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 14. People, and by the way, if you read the whole thing, there's people who've gone away from God. Okay, read it for yourself. Read the chapter. You see, deal with apostate. People who left God, abandoned God. He says of them that they were having eyes full of what? Adult. But notice the next word. That what? Cannot cease. They've lost control. They lost control. What happened with them is that they come into the church, they hear a sermon, they come down to the altar. In two weeks, they're back to the same old thing again. Then they come into church, they hear again. And they say, I done with two more weeks, they're back again. You know why? They've lost control. They cannot cease from sin. God has abandoned them. God has taken his restraining hand because they said, I don't want you to control me. You're restraining me. You're making me miserable. I want sexual freedom. I want to live as I please. God said, that's what you want. I give it to you, sir. But remember where it's headed. From normalcy to an aberration. To perversion. And then look at chapter, Second Peter chapter 2. Notice how he described them in verse 12. You call them what? What do you call them? Call them brute beasts. They're like animals now. They have no... Con- you ever see an animal yet? I got some dogs. The, the moment that dog is in heat, she goes crazy. She goes down the village trying to find a partner because she's in heat. She's, a, she's an animal. She's got a passion. Got to be full. She has no control. No control. God is saying they come to the point where they're like brute beasts. The restraining hand of God is off their lives and now they're addicts. Are you there? Are you there this morning? Pastor, is a terrible thing to entertain, a thought to entertain. Well, Paul didn't think so. Paul didn't think so. And Paul is writing to who? The world. Right? Paul is writing to the church. 
If you think these things are harsh, go to the, the study for yourself to see this is what Paul teaches. They're not Pastor Murphy trying to come with us. He concocted in his mind. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the levels of degradation that follow vile affections. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.